The views, comments, and opinions of the following program do not necessarily reflect those of Morris Media Studios, MorrisMediaLive.com, or its affiliates. Listener discretion is advised. Good day, beloved. Welcome to Faith Without Borders. I'm your host, Pastor Calvin Sauls. It is a joy to have you here on this day. Uh, We are grateful for your presence and participation. Uh, As you know, here at Faith Without Borders, our mission is to see how we can engage in the education and mobilization of multiracial and multireligious transnational movements for social equity and planetary justice globally. And so our focus, of course, is what's happening here in Los Angeles, in the United States, and around the world, especially what's happening in the land of my birth, which is South Africa. And so we are so glad that you're joining us uh, as we continue this 10-part series uh, that we kicked off about five weeks ago. And that series is entitled Intersectional Convergence, Organizing and Mobilizing for Inclusivity, Equality, and Equity. And we are looking at an array of critical issues facing our communities locally, nationally, and uh, globally. Uh, And the purpose of these uh, conversations, these dialogues, is for it to be thought-provoking, for it to invoke if you will, critical thinking, and to see how we can provide a platform for thought leaders to come uh, and uh, engage in solutions-oriented dialogue. That's what it's about. That's how we roll. And our theme song for this time together is uh, 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 Libra Cifre's song, Something Inside So Strong, and what we're going to be dealing with today, both around an update on COVID-19 from 
the Republic of South Africa, as well as uh, remembering and celebrating the life and legacy, impact and influence of Chief Justice or Supreme Court Justice, if you will, uh, RBG, Ruth Bader Ginsburg. So uh, we're going to have a a lot to talk about, but that song, I believe, just kind of pulls together, you know, uh, that whatever barriers, you know, are put in our way, uh, whether it's because of uh, the color of our skin or our gender, that uh, there is something inside uh, so strong, uh, that divine power, that divine will, um, and that divine destiny that will give us the strength and the power to overcome whatever, you know, our folk put in our way uh, and to see how we can, of course, uh, transform barriers into bridges. Uh, that's what it's about here at Faith Without Borders, and I'm so glad that you are here with us. We're going to uh, start off, it is in the afternoon in Johannesburg, South Africa, uh, where my uh, dear sister and friend, Dr. Mary Augusta Adam, is standing by to join us. Uh, So I'm heading home, and as I'm heading home, uh, today is the 70th birthday of my only um, brother-in-law, Gregory Makatani. So I want to just land home quickly by just taking care of some family business uh, by just saying to uh, uh, Gregory, Grex, we call him Opa as well, uh, or Swar sometimes, you know, he has various names. I have one sister, so one uh, brother-in-law, and I uh, just want to say to him, happy birthday. Uh, we pray that the Lord will continue to bless and keep you, make his face to shine upon you, and grant you peace, health, and strength. Um for the days, the months, and the years to come. Uh, Thank you for uh, loving and being a partner to my only sister, uh, and uh, as well as um, a father to your two sons, and uh, you all just became grandparents. So now Opa, which really means grandpa, he's really a grandpa now. It's not just a name, you know, uh, it's actual title here. So happy birthday, my bro. And uh, the Lord bless and keep you. Dr. Mary, are you there? Good afternoon and good day. All right, all right, all right. There we go. Heita, uh, heita. How's it da? That's lekker, that's lekker. From the south to the south, it's always awesome to be here. Look, look, we got this bridge uh, constructed here. It's, it's it's not a bridge to nowhere. We're going somewhere, okay? So I'm uh, yes. so glad yes, that we indeed. that you're with us. Uh, look, uh, we just want to, I know we've, we've done this, then we took a little break, but we're back now, and I'm so glad about it because this past week, the president of South Africa, uh, Sir Ramaphosa, once again had a, you know, national... Um, um, press conference, you know, addressing the nation around an update uh, uh, in terms of COVID-19. Uh, I received, you know, the uh, PDF, I received the slides, <laughs> everything that that, uh, that you and, and my dear sister Lorraine make sure that I have, you know, so I can keep up what's happening there. So if you can just give us a quick update, and then we also want to get to some uh, uh, articles that uh, appeared in the newspaper and kind of get your perspective on that. But uh, uh, first, you know, how are you? How's the family? 
No, we're still strong, still keeping in there, uh, still fighting the good fight and ensuring that we finish this race strong. We started strong, uh, we're in the midst of it, and really we, we're making sure that um, when we say that um, the pandemic is over, that we fought a good fight. My family's also well, um, and um, I praise God for that. I thank God for that. And um, sure, I, I just give him all the glory that we're still standing together in this thing. Great, great, great. Now, you've given me a, 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 a slogan, like we always do, you know, we give each other slogans to remember, uh, and that is, you know, uh, fear out, uh, uh, faith up. Uh, and so yeah. uh, I've, been, I've been living by that as we're dealing, you know, with, you know, the pandemic here, you know, and not just yeah. in the United States, but, but in California, in Los Angeles, you know, uh, where we are still, you know, kind of, you know, having a lot of struggles around that. Can you give us just a synopsis of what President Ramaphosa shared with, you know, the country uh, and our folk and, uh, and maybe some of the reaction, you know, to that? Uh, most certainly. Uh, we are already over our 200 days of lockdown um, and there's been lots of controversy, a lot of discussion, a lot of court cases that have been going on between um, the government, society, health departments, economics. So there's a lot that has been going on from the time that we've spoken. Um, I think when we went into um, the discussion of COVID and where we are in South Africa, we found ourselves um, at still level four, level three. We were going in between those stages. Now we've moved uh, to now level one stage, and that basically is to allow for the economy to completely open. Yes, there are still restrictions in place, but this then is more concentrated um, towards the economy. Uh, the initial part of the lockdown was for us to um, become a fay with what um, COVID was, uh, to understand the virus, to understand what the impact was on other countries and what it was going to do for our country, for our continent. And then it was for us to get ready to prepare our healthcare system. And then also uh, basically to take care of the health of our of our communities. Um, and as we swiftly moved away from uh, level five, um, some of these restrictions started unfolding and became more relaxed and just, uh, oh, sorry, in level five, it was also to set behavioral standards, basically, um, and to reinforce um, those. And we've spoken about this, and this is worldwide, where the introduction of face masks, social distancing, and hand washing became uh, crucial, or really the foundation of what um, um, that would lead the way to flattening the curve, and we've spoken about that quite extensively throughout our time um, in these mm -hmm. 200 um, days. Yes. And so where we are at the moment is level one. And the greatest changes that have come about is basically now reopening of the borders. And um, what that essentially means that it is not just now within our country that we can move from province to province, but it's also that our international borders are now open. But this also comes with um, some restrictions. Um, and some of these include, um, number one, if one is to travel out of the country, one needs to make sure that one um, obviously knows this, uh, what their symptoms are, if they are symptomatic or if not, if they've come into contact with anybody who has COVID and they might um, still be within that um, waiting period of three to four days um, or up to the um, seven day period. 
And then also, once they travel, they need to have a COVID test that would be done, and that would allow for a 48 to 72 hour period. Now, when coming into the country, these restrictions are also going to be applied to those who've traveled outside of South Africa and would like to return to the country. And this would include the 72 hour or 48 hour to 72 hour um, COVID swab that would then suggest that the um, the person is negative. Mm -hmm. But then also if they do not have this swab when traveling back into the country, they would then um, undergo a self-quarantine, which would then um, be at the cost of the traveler. So these are some of the restrictions in terms of that. Also the... Um, uh, airlines, not the airlines, the airports that would be accessible would be that of uh, OR Tambo, Kinshaka, as well as Cape Town International Airport. So as to still keep an eye on um, the in and outs of our country, uh, we'll see um, how that pans. Um, from the tourism industry, um, they've seen that um, that this is a crucial time and an actual mm -hmm. uh, good opportunity to open up the borders because um, in previous years, over 1 million people have come into South Africa during the summer period. So this is a time of traveling and that. So um, it, it coincides with us opening up the economy in terms of travelers. Uh, one of the other debates that have come very strongly on um, from the beginning of June, the first, sorry, the 7th of June, which was the first Sunday of um um, the first Sunday of level three to level uh, level four to level three was the opening up, up of the sanctuaries. These are church buildings. And um, it, it was given with much debate because um, there was a restriction on the number of people that could enter um, a building uh, despite the capacity that it could hold. And so each um, service indoor could host 50 people. And this was in keeping with some of, of, some of the international standards that had been um, um, projected and um, discussed and given forth. And so what had happened in South Africa, we also followed that. Uh, so for indoor um, church services, about 50 uh, people with masks, and uh, there was a controversy controversial statement about not singing in churches, not moving around in churches. So it was mm -hmm. um, met with a lot of um, backlash that. But uh, what um, in the level one now is that it speaks about a capacity of half of the indoor um, facility. But then in the same sentence, the president's also mentioned that the uh, number within a closed setting would be 250. So that brought also a bit of confusion as to like what is the number uh, versus the capacity within a building because he says half the capacity of a building and in the same sentence he mentioned 250 mm -hmm. but the general consensus within the uh, faith-based communities is that they would um, use the number 250 per service um, that would um, be allocated uh, per, per, per person per venue per function Okay. Um, and mm -hmm. so that's one of the other strong uh, features that have come out in the level one um, talks. Another important um, uh, one is in terms of the sale of alcohol, tobacco and other industries. And so this one, um, again, we've discussed quite a bit because with <laughs> alcohol, we saw that, um, you know, there was a bit of a big backlash at the beginning. And this um, was essentially 
looking at again setting a behavioral standard within our communities and within the country because there was a recorded number of patients about 68,000 in the previous year that said that these are patients that would take up beds within the healthcare system and so that was the decision to say let's ban alcohol for a period of time and then slowly open it up but obviously the economy took a hard hit because um, every day, close to millions were lost just on that industry alone. So when it came back, um, you know, people were excited. Uh, people were singing. There was greater jubilation. So, you know, I don't know, churches couldn't sing, but going to the bottle store, you could sing. Yes. Um, <laughs> so that was also, it got a lot of backlash. Um, government got a backlash for the ban. Um, you know, people got a backlash now for singing when they go into the bottle stores. So there was, there, there was lots of things going on here. But, and and then um, when the ban was lifted, uh, within two weeks, it was reinstated again <laughs> because the beds filled up. You know, I'm, I'm laughing about it, but, you know, it was actually very stressful, um, you know, uh, because, you know, you had people fighting for their rights to, to have access to alcohol. You had then on the other side, healthcare system that was getting the brunt of these trauma-related incidences secondary to alcohol use. So it's clearly our behavioral set piece wasn't really, you know, <laughs> intact at the time. Uh, but um, now on the level one, uh, alcohol again has some restrictions, but it has been open now. Instead from Monday to Thursday, it's now Monday to Friday from um, nine o'clock in the morning to five in the afternoon. And there's also restriction in terms of where you can have your alcohol and the, um, the restaurants and that the entertainment industry in terms of where they can also sell them and up to what time, right. because also there was a, a curfews that were still in place and initiated because of the alcohol ban. An important one also was the um, cigarette um, sales that was also very hard hit in terms of um, the, the ban in in the early stages of the lockdown into level three, uh, where we saw that um, there was still a lot of debate about that. But with a lot of debate came also a lot of discussion from what was happening internationally in terms of the use of nicotine um, mm -hmm. in the treatment of um, in the treatment of COVID. But certainly they also um, postulated that one cannot say that smoking is good um, for patients just for that nicotine part of the of the of the um, cigarette um, smoking. The other part of it came in in terms of um, you know uh, the quick separation or the quick stop of um, um, the smoking or taking away cigarettes for those who are smokers and long-term smokers and what it had done to the anxiety levels, mental health. So all of those things came to the forefront. But swiftly as we moved into level four, we saw that that ban uh, gradually been lifted because also the impact on the economy was so great that um, it, it really, uh, the, the economy contracted based on just these two um, elements, which was um, alcohol and um cigarette smoking we, 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 which uh, you know and, and again though i mean just those two if the economy yes. is built on the consumption of alcohol and the use of tobacco though yes. both of those have uh, adverse impacts on people's yes. health and if you look at you know COVID 19 being you know a, a respiratory right challenge yes. uh what that you know uh, uh you know so so both you know and smoking is respiratory you know, as well as alcohol, yeah. because it affects, you know, uh, lungs and, you know, and respiratory, you know, uh, anatomy. So, you know, that's 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 very interesting that 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 the economy got hit. Yeah, that, so, I mean, it begs the question, you know, uh, you know, do economies thrive on behaviors 
that basically destroy the human body and that is detrimental to our health. I mean, uh, any thoughts on that? Yes, I mean, you, you raise an important point there because we're now wanting to save lives from a COVID perspective, but then you have alcohol that can have an influence. Um, when you speak about it having an influence on your respiratory um, aspect, remember that if you take a certain quantity of alcohol and it actually diminishes your mental state, it can also diminish your respiratory state. So one can, if you've overeaten, you can vomit and then vomit into your, um, aspirate into your lungs. That can cause um, severe uh, defect and disease. Then smoking, we all know the effects of smoking onto the respiratory um, system. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so now you have this where we're saying a, a condition that is driven by behavioral um, uh, set pieces. And then you also have an economy that's also driven by a behavioral standards. How do we then balance the two? Because here um, also where we say that, and in both, lives can be lost. In both, in both scenarios, lives can be lost. It's just that which one is the lesser evil or which one is um, the better of the, of the good. So or, it, it or, makes it so Or one can ask which one is intended and which one is unintended because the use of alcohol and the use of nicotine, those industries understand the intended consequences when you use That's those true. products. I mean, we, we ought not to kind of jump around that and not, you know, uh, be honest about it. You know, th those are uh, uh, giant corporations, both in the United States and in South Africa, you know, uh, that benefit greatly uh, from the destruction of, uh, of people's lives in general, but in particularly the destruction of uh, 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 black people's lives. You know, uh, yes, it's, and it's the choices that we make, isn't yeah. it? And yeah. it really falls onto that. And how do we choose? And I mean, if you look at COVID as well, it's a choice because you choose to 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 adhere to the regulations. Mm -hmm. You choose to um, keep so social distancing. You choose to wear your mask. You choose to do hand washing or basic hygiene. Mm -hmm. So yes, the one is supported by big corporations, and the other one is not really intended because we we can't pinpoint exactly where COVID has come from and, and to point fingers at certain countries and that we've seen, you know, viruses, I mean, must we point fingers at um, the Congo for Ebola? Mm -hmm. <laughs> Can you see? So, I mean, it's just the climate of which it comes to. But now when you look at these big corporations, they're in all of these countries and they have an intended purpose. Yeah. And it's up to us as individuals to choose uh, where do we find ourselves and yeah. what choices we make. Yeah, and it's interesting you, you talk about, you know, uh, how, who names quickly where certain diseases come from and how yes. it's named. That, that's a narrative, you know, uh, that, 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 that is always used by what I call white supremacists because, you know, uh, every disease comes from everywhere else other than, you know, uh, uh, countries with a predominantly white population. So let's just be clear, you know. Uh, so yeah. we, of course, have you know, uh, the uh, ignorance coming from the White House talking about the China virus, which is really a racist and bigoted statement. We got to name mm -hmm. it, you know, uh, just tell it what it is. Uh, uh, and, uh, you know, it's same thing with, 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 with Ebola. People have done the same thing with HIV AIDS, you know, and other, you know, uh, the naming of diseases in so many ways has been so racialized uh, that one always has to question, you know, the integrity behind the naming, uh, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, uh, that's, that's, I'm glad that we, we, we marching along. I'm glad that uh, in South Africa we do have a president that has the courage and integrity, you know, for addressing the nation, uh, listening to the scientists and the experts, 
uh, around yeah. what's happening and don't, you know, uh, uh, think that uh, he's the smartest, you know, um, in the room. Uh, and I'm glad that, you know, he works together with science, whereas, you know, uh, in the United States, you know, uh, we have a uh, um, just this whole um, challenge, you know, about how uh, politics, you know, whether it's from the, um, um, the president's office or the um, attorney general's office, you know, and how all of that impacts the, the CDC. One thing that was uh, glaringly missing from the president's uh, speech was, of course, the whole controversy uh, around corruption and the misuse of uh, PPE funds that uh, came from a loan made on behalf of uh, the people of South Africa, uh, yet so much of that money was squandered uh, and plundered you know, uh, by way of cronyism as well as nepotism. Um, nothing in his speech about that. That was quite disturbing to many of us, you know, uh, uh, because we are, you know, continue, we continue to push the South African Council of Churches and several of the Methodists of South Africa and others, and including some of us, you know, who are, you know, uh, in the diaspora, pushing for transparency and accountability around that. And one of the articles that uh, came out you know, uh, uh, is entitled Mystery of Staggering PPE Error, you know, uh, where, you know, a, te a, a tender came in, you know, for, you know, I think it was uh, 75 million, and, uh, and then 800 million was added to that, you know, uh, around that. So uh, any, uh, I mean, this, the, the, the access or the appropriation of these funds and the access, you know, of the products that these funds were supposed to purchase directly impacts how medical staff like yourself are able to respond to the challenge of COVID-19. Uh, any thoughts around what's happening, you know, both in the medical field, but also, you know, uh, in community around what's been going on, uh, 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 you know, around this gross, you know, um, uh, corruption that's been uh, taking place by either cabinet members, uh, ANC members, uh, or their families? You know, this is very heartbreaking because um, now you, you now I'm going to connect what you had mentioned now uh, with in terms of big corporations to what is happening with um, our government um, and in relation to uh, PPE and the essential equipment necessary to protect healthcare workers and fr frontline workers. Um, and that is, is this an intended um, um, death mm -hmm. of its um, essential services um, and it's heartbreaking it's disappointing uh, it's frustrating um, if you can think of the roller coaster of emotions that one has have had to face um, dealing with being somebody who's on the ground um, who's working in the field who's plowing away and you think that there are people sitting in an office who get to decide how much money has to be allocated to put to particular aspects of this um, of this um, COVID nineteen experience, and when they when you look at this article and you read this article, it speaks about glitches, it speaks about mistakes. Um, can we say that about the doctors, the nurses, the front care um, or health professionals? Uh, and I'm talking about frontliners who are porters, who are cleaners, that are part of the entire system that makes it work, that makes this chain work.
can we say that that's a glitch? Their death, is that a glitch? Is, they will never come back. Those people will never come back from this. So, and their families are left now having to read things like this in the media. Um, they have to go through the emotions of the loss of their families and what they've called undignified burials of their family members. And then we have to sit with media reports such as this. Mm -hmm. When the PPE saga or wars came out, it was um, read to be 102 companies were involved in using the Solidarity Fund or funds that were allocated for PPE and for um, front or for healthcare workers to fight the good fight. But we found that, you know, this was not the intention of some of the people who found themselves in these situations. Mm -hmm. And um, like I keep on saying, it's frustrating. It's, it's, it's unacceptable. It's unacceptable that a glitch like this can happen. You can tell me a glitch can happen on a system that doesn't pay us for two to three months, but a glitch where it says that you have access to actually acquire PPE um, and con so that we can do the work to save lives. You actually put our lives at risk for that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it's, 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 it's certainly an abomination. And, and we want to say yes. from Los Angeles uh, to... Washington DC to Pretoria, uh, corruption in any democracy is an abomination and uh, it is a threat to any democracy which has to be built on the three principles of integrity, transparency and of course um, accountability and all of that hinges on the dignity and humanity of those who are part of that democ democracy. I would extend it by saying uh, as well as the integrity of all of creation that is a part of that democracy. So we, we, we certainly hope that, you know, that there will be, you know, a transparency and accountability around this for this simple reason. That loan was made on behalf of the government and the people of South Africa. And that means that uh, long after President Ramaphosa moves on, this loan has to be repaid. And so if there is no transparency and accountability now, that means that the people of South Africa uh, through their tax dollars now have to be responsible to repay that loan uh, to another system that is uh, uh, very, very exploitive and imperialistic, which is the International Monetary Fund and the World Bank, you know, governed, of course, by Western nations. So, so we just have to kind of, you know, uh, 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 keep it on the up and up here and just tell it like it is, you know, uh, as we you know, look, you know, look through this. Uh, know that you have our prayers and our partnership, you know, as you navigate, you know, uh, through this. I want to thank you for your commitment, your passion, you know, uh, and your collaboration with so many, you know, uh, to make sure our, that our folk, you know, at the Chris Hani Baraguanath Hospital has what they need uh, to live uh, healthy and thriving lives, as well as uh, our folk in El Dorado Park, you know, south of Johannesburg. So, Dr. Mary Augusta Adam, thank you so much. Uh, we appreciate you, and uh, we will always, you know, live into uh, that slogan, fear out, faith up. So thank you so much. God bless you. God bless you. Thank you very much for having me. All right. That's, uh, that's, uh, that, that, that's Dr. Mary Augusta Adam. You're always good to have a conversation with her to kind of just see what's happening here you know, uh, as all of these issues converge and intersect, you know, uh, with what's happening. And in the end, it is about, you know, um, uh, inclusivity, equality, and equity. 
as we do uh, what we need to do. That's what Beloved Community is all about, friends. And, um, and, and, and we're certainly you know, looking forward to making our way towards it. Uh, we're now going to turn to the United States. Uh, you know that uh, it is census time, and uh, it is so important that uh, we make sure that everybody gets counted. This administration, the Trump administration, has done everything you know, uh, it could in addition to voter suppression uh, to a strategy of exclusion you know, uh, of so many out of the census uh, uh, by way of intimidation with the uh, citizenship question, uh, um, defunding the census department, you know, defunding, you know, everybody's so concerned about defunding of certain, you know, sectors of society, but nobody says anything when defunding is actually taking place around the post office, and in this case, uh, of course, the, um, the Census Bureau. So uh, we want to uh, just, again, emphasize the message that uh, we've got to be counted uh, for three reasons. One, uh, because you need to be respected in terms of your dignity uh, as one who are in this land. Uh, so respect is very, very important. Representation in terms of who will represent us you know, uh, uh, in government, uh, where legislation is made and major decisions are made around the uh, function and vitality of this democracy. And then, of course, you know, around resources, you know, uh, such as built-in environment resources for libraries, for transportation, you know, uh, um, and all, you know, uh, safety net programs that is available, you know, for us, preschool programs, et cetera, et cetera. So the census is critical. You need to be counted, and we want to say that you need to be in the count. And we're going to play a, uh, a quick video for you uh, about the census, and then when we come back, we're going to transition to talking about the notorious RBG. But for now, census. A lot can happen in 10 years. Your family can grow, your neighborhood can change, you might even choose a hairstyle you'll regret. Aww. The United States Census is about keeping count of all the people in the United States. It helps us give opportunities to grow, thrive, and be represented in government to those that need it most. In essence, the census is a survey of the population in our country. It helps us understand how many people live in our country. The census asks where you live, how many people live in your household, and any other information to determine the needs of the community. The census counts everyone living all over the United States whether a citizen or not. It's for all people living here, working, building communities, and contributing to our country. This is important for many reasons. First, it allows government to know what neighborhoods are growing and what needs they have. For example, a complete count of the census can mean your community becomes more livable with parks, schools, roads, and much more. Also, businesses can use the census information to know what type of businesses and jobs are needed in your community. It allows an accurate number of congressional representatives in the federal government for each community. Think about it. If nobody in your town fills out a census, it's as if you don't exist and you won't be represented in the government and your needs will not be heard. It's important for you to know that the information you provide is confidential and by law cannot be released to any law enforcement agency. Let's say that again. It's illegal for the Census Bureau to release your private personal information. No law enforcement agency will be able to look at the personal information you provide and will never ask for sensitive information such as your social security number. In the time it takes you to order a coffee, you could fill out your census. The census asks questions like how many people live in your address and their age, race, and relationship to others in the household. Make sure 
sure to count everyone in your household, from the baby to the grandparents, even your cousin Larry, who has been staying with you for the last three months. You can do this online, through the mail, or you might get a knock on the door. I know, I know, who does that anymore? So let's make everyone count. Let's make our voices heard. Let's participate in the Census 2020 and make our communities better places to live. To learn more, visit CaliforniaCensus.org. All right, there it is. We want to make sure that you move from invisibility to visibility. Uh, this uh, election season uh, is one that uh, has taken many uh, twists and turns. Um, for one, it has, you know, uh, in the words of uh, President Trump, gone much, much more vicious. Um, and then, of course, you know, uh, what happened at the end of, you know, uh, this week uh, was uh, even more uh, painful to many and uh, challenging as we enter a time of grief and mourning uh, at the transition of uh, Supreme Court Justice uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, uh, who uh, transitioned. And uh, we want to express our condolences uh, to the uh, uh, Ginsburg immediate and extended families and all those uh, who have worked with her, uh, her colleagues, those that she has mentored, you know, uh, over the years. And uh, that e this is certainly a, um, a very, very uh, sad experience, um, and, uh, but it has also now become a very, very challenging you know, uh, experience. And um, I have uh, snatched a term, you know, uh, from the Reverend Dr. Alan Busek, a uh, theologian uh, from South Africa and one of my heroes, when we were part of a conversation with him this past week. Uh, he has, you know, basically um, uh, shared that uh, what's happening around the world in politics is people uh, have chosen uh, to uh, participate in what he calls a politics of vulgarity. Uh, and that certainly, you know, uh, happened when the um, GOP, you know, leader, the Senate leader, Mitch McConnell, you know, released a statement even before expressing condolences uh, as to uh, what needs to happen around the process for replacement of, you know, uh, Justice uh, Ginsburg. And uh, that, of course, was just very, very... Uh, painful to many and, and, and challenging, especially given uh, what happened when Justice Scalia, uh, who was a very, very good friend of uh, Justice Ginsburg, transitioned, you know, um, uh, uh, several years ago. And, um, and it was, again, that happened nine months before the election. Uh, it was, you know, uh, Mitch McConnell that uh, said that, you know, uh, the people need to have a say uh, around um, who gets to pick, you know, the uh, next uh, Chief Justice, therefore, I mean, the next Supreme Court Justice, and therefore nothing, you know, uh, should move forward, you know, around, around this. Well, here we are, just a little under 50 days from the election, and we always see a, a flip in the script. Uh, but that's what hypocrites do, you know, uh, they just flip the script on you anytime they want to. But we're not going to uh, spend some uh, time on that. We'll, you know, we have to just pray with our eyes open and strategize, mobilize, and organize around that. But we do want to uh, talk about uh, the notorious RBG, and I'm so glad uh, that uh, the Honorable Just Judge Patricia Titus uh, is able to join us uh, today. Uh, she, you know, uh, is in the uh, uh, California Superior Court in Inglewood, 
and uh, where she deals with uh, family members, family matters such as, you know, uh, restraining orders, uh, domestic violence, uh, etc., etc. And uh, for her, that is not just what she does in court, uh, but she does that in a variety of ways as a woman of faith. And I've had the privilege uh, of being her pastor, and, uh, and, 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 and I'm grateful for our ongoing friendship and partnership around uh, uh, several of these issues. Uh, she's also an author, and we'll talk a little bit about you know, her book around domestic violence that she's written in celebration of her 20th year. You know, uh, as uh, an elected judge, so that's great. So, uh, Judge Titus, are you there? Good morning. Good morning. Good morning, Pastor Saul. Yes, I'm here. It's so good to see you. Uh, the Lord bless and keep you. And uh, I know we in touch, you know, in a variety of ways. So I'm I'm, I'm glad about that. I'm grateful for it. And uh, but let's start off. How are you doing? How's the family? How's Dad? Just kind of you know let us know what's going what's going on. Yes, we are all well. My father lives in an assisted living facility. He'll be 92 oh, next my year. Goodness. And my sister and I went to visit him, excuse me, 92 next month. And my sister and I went to visit him yesterday at his facility. At least we're able to visit. We social distance. We have to make an appointment and the visits are limited to 45 minutes. So we've made it work because there was one period at the beginning of this in ordeal we're going through where we couldn't see him for about 12 weeks. Wow. wow. 12 weeks. And then they were able to arrange their protocol that family members could visit the seniors in their facility. So we are very grateful. Yes. Very yes. grateful. Now that, that's wonderful. We, uh, uh, we certainly try to do the same with uh, uh, my mother-in-law, Gloria Wortham. Uh, we can't, uh, we cannot see her, but uh, we try and, you know, uh, uh, get as close as we can just so that she can know uh, that uh, that we still care about her and love her. She's uh, 94 and uh, yeah. and is doing well here wow. at, um, at, at View Park Convalescent Home. They're doing a great job caring for our elderly there, so we're grateful uh, for that. Uh, certainly, you know, uh, you uh, posted a picture of you and, you know, um, uh, uh, um, Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg, uh, uh, you know, uh, you know, you all met probably at some point. So I, I want to just, you know, start off by asking you, you know, as a uh, a woman practitioner in jurisprudence, you know, uh, how do you, you know, uh, feel about this loss? But we may want to start with where was that picture taken, and uh, and 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 what was the conversation like with her, you know? Uh, during that time? Yes, uh, at that time I was on the board of the National Bar Association, which is the largest organization of African-American attorneys and judges in the U.S. And it was formed in 1925 when the American Bar Association refused to allow Black people to be members of it. And during that time, this was in the mid nineties, I believe it was 1995. Our pres national president was a resident of DC and he arranged for us to have a reception at the US Supreme Court. So since I was on the board as an affiliate representative, I made sure to go. I definitely wanted to meet her as well as Sandra 
Day O'Connor. Yes. And so they had a formal reception for us. And those two justices came, Stephen Breyer came, and there, there are five of the five of the nine justices came to greet us during our reception. So that was a monumental uh, event in my life. And I took the pictures, they're in my chambers, and I went back to work to get that photo so I could post it for my family and friends so they could see that we actually had connection with her personally. She was very, very encouraging, Mm -hmm. very open, very warm. I mean, one of my friends was there with her husband who's a dentist and she invited them to come back another day that week and spent half a day with her in her chambers. Oh my goodness. kind of woman woman she was so it was just an honor an honor to to meet her and she didn't like run in and run out she came and stayed the whole reception and talked to everybody <laughs> but that was that was just very they made us feel welcome yeah made us feel welcome. yeah yeah clearly i mean from what we've uh, learned and we've seen you know there was both the cnn special uh, about her uh, as well as you know uh, the movie you know, just a very, very generous person and, and yeah. just a very, very kind person, you know, uh, is who she, you know, uh, was in terms of just her character, uh, compassionate, of course, yeah. I mean, smart as, oh my gosh, you know, uh, around it, but but just a deep sense of, you know, connecting both, you know, uh, the ability that she had with a deep sense of humility, would you say? Yes, mm-hmm. absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. So at this loss, can you, you know, as, as, as a judge yourself, as one who uh, practices jurisprudence, you know, I mean, uh, tell, you know, tell us a little bit about just the, uh, the significance of this loss, you know, uh, for, for, for you, you know, uh, and, and, and for all of us. Yeah, well, for me, particularly because she is just the epitome of everything you aspire to be as a judge. Mm-hmm intelligent, hardworking, dedicated, just on point for everything, on point for everything. Just, I mean, even when she was facing personal illness, she did not let that detract her. She still showed up and gave her best. And it's an excellent role model. She fought for what was right because it was right and didn't mince her words when she had to dissent or whether she led the majority in the in the opinion so it was very she's a unparalleled jurist of excellence the model to which we all aspire yeah Mm -hmm. so we absolutely feel her loss we absolutely feel her loss but in this loss i believe that we become more resolute in knowing that as judges, we can make an impact in society in our roles, and it's incumbent upon us to do so. She's famous for saying, fight for the things you care about, but do it in a way that will lead others to join you. Yes, yeah. And I, and I certainly understand that. And as judges, you know, we're restricted about what we can say and how we can say it. But for the things that we can do, she's the epitome, the icon, the trailblazer of showing us 
what we can do in our roles. And the first thing is specifically to be excellent, but then also be accessible mm -hmm. to let people know about the legal uh, system, the justice system, and then do what we can to make sure that there is access to the courts yes. so that people can, can protect and advocate for the protection of their rights. Yeah. Yeah. And you certainly do an excellent job with that in uh, in Inglewood. Um, uh, you know, uh, I've, I've witnessed that and, and have known about it because of our relationship and our partnership and, and really appreciate that. Uh, uh, we know that, you know, she has just had a tremendous you know, influence and impact on so many. And, you know, uh, especially as it relates to uh, to women. And so uh, uh, my my next question to you is, you know, how has um you know, uh, RBG influenced and impact, impacted your life, you know, uh, uh, as a lawyer and as a judge, you know, uh, uh, especially in light of the barriers that she had to overcome, you know, as is told in her, you know, um, um, uh, in all of the, the work that she's done, of course, uh, as well as the uh, movies, you know, uh, that was made about her. Yeah, so she totally paved the way. She totally paved the way and, and actually just by her mere presence because throughout my life I've had women judges influence me my whole life even when I didn't really understand the nature of the influence mm -hmm. I, when I went to the Supreme Court during that reception I had no idea that I would be a judge years later that mm -hmm. wasn't on my radar at that time but in the back of my mind, I had that experience. I had an example in front of me. I like to always say a snapshot of my future. Mm -hmm. And, you know, long behold, you know, I'm a judge and I look back at the women judges, Vanel Spen Justice Vanel Spencer, Justice Candace Cooper, mm -hmm. Justice Bader Ginsburg, just one conversation, but still it had a, an impact. When I went into the legal profession, I had no idea it never crossed my mind that women weren't necessarily represented in the legal profession. I just didn't really understand it. And when I went through law school and entered into the profession, I mean, they, it was just a topic of conversation because when I came in, women were approximately 25 to 30%. Mm -hmm. Now we're over 50% mm -hmm. in the legal profession. But because it was so male dominated, affirmative things had to be done to let that profession know that women were here to stay. And Ruth Bader Ginsburg, entire life, that's what she did. That's what she did. Even being at the top of her class at Columbia, mm -hmm. and then she can't even get a job. Right. Can't right. Even get a job. Mm -hmm. And so she goes into academia and then spends that portion of her career advancing cases and arguing cases that broke down the gender discrimination. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, now we have a body of work that she championed because that's what she personally faced. And so for the work that she did, it made it easier for me to come along. Yeah, yeah. And I think one thing to, you know, just to mention, and I want to say this as a man, is that, that that strategies for exclusion, inequity, and inequality, they don't happen by accident. You know, these are intentional, you know, um, uh, schemes and systems created, 
you know, a bi-patriarchy uh, that for the most part benefits men, you know, and, uh, and so sometimes, you know, we, we, we create this, you know, uh, narrative that people didn't know better. I, I really don't buy that. You know, uh, right, again, and that's through, why she was yeah. so ingenious when she brought mm -hmm. cases. She, the majority of the time, she used a male plaintiff to show the disparate impact on the male when it was really the women that had the disparate impact. But for the illustration and to advance the legal argument, she used the male to show. And so a lot of time when they saw I was a man, they're like, oh, and then she's like, yes, and this is what's happening to the women too. Right. And that was the strategy and was very effective. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. How would you describe her legacy, influence, and impact on American life, American law, and our understanding of civil, civil liberties? Well, in general, just because she was an advocate for equality, mm -hmm. an advocate for equality, equality and women's rights and women's rights. So as a society, we're better off because she existed. We're better off because she was the legal giant, the icon, the trailblazer. She made it her business to dismantle gender discrimination, thereby showing that equal rights belong to everyone. Mm -hmm. So as an American society, we're better off because we're supposed to be treating everybody equally. Yeah, you're right about that. I mean, we, 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 you know, we, we have to understand that women's rights, you know, are, are human rights, right? Yeah. And, uh, and it's so important that we make sure that there is an intentional move to address you know the disparities by uh, that that took place as a result of gender, and 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 that also goes for black women. You know um, yeah. because you know when when the voting rights came, it was it was for 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 white men first, and then black men. You see what I'm saying? Uh, and then you know uh, the women. So right. so I think you know let let me let's talk a little bit about that in terms of just within you know um, the. The African American community, I mean, we, we continue to just to be challenged by this um, this illusion of superior, superiority by way of gender, you know, uh, that we really have to, you know, uh, deconstruct and reconstruct for our own sanity as well as our own humanity, wouldn't you say? Yes, definitely. Mm -hmm. Definitely. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we want to uh, talk a little bit about, you know, uh, even though she was a white woman, a white judge, you know, uh, I mean, again, when I saw, you know, your picture with her, it was just so powerful for me to basically see, you know, just the uh, the intersection right there for you, you know, uh, as a, uh, a, a, a black woman with that intersection, you know, and what's going on right now, you know, in the country. Uh, yet being inspired, you know, uh, by her. Talk a little bit about, you know, what is it like for you as you stand at the intersection of being a woman and being black in the role and the position uh, that you're in as a judge, you know, dealing with, you know, family matters, if you will, you know, and we'll get into one of them in a minute that you're very passionate about. Uh, but, but just talk a little bit about, you know, being at that intersection and, and how do you see the opportunities, any obstacles for you to do what you need to do, you know, uh, as you, you know, um, live into your responsibilities. 
Well, it's, it's always interesting, even being on the bench for 20 years, a lot of times people have just in their minds, they have a picture of what they expect the judge to look like. It usually doesn't look like me. I have long fingernails. I have curly hair. I like makeup. I like eyelashes. You know, sometimes I'm dressed like this. Other times I have my hair in a bun and I'm wearing my glasses. But suffice it to say, they're not thinking in their mind, you know, a young Black woman, they're thinking something else. So when they come in, I have to get them past that so that they know that they're going to have their day in court. I'm in Inglewood, it's a black and brown community uh-huh. predominantly, so it's not as much of a transition for them, but you know, sometimes people have to have a transition. When I started 20 years ago, my voice was probably an octave higher. Now it's low. And <laughs> I didn't do that consciously, but I did it so that when people come in, they know this is the judge. I actually know what I'm talking about. <laughs> and let's get to the issue issue at hand. So sometimes people have an issue, but I think as the hearing progresses, then they kind of get settled and just know, you know, she knows what she's talking about. Let me just say what happened, see if I can get the result I'm here to get. Right, right, so, right. But we definitely have to do that. And that's 20 years now. Can imagine 20 years ago when I was 20 years younger. Right. And they're looking at me like, you know, this my judge. <laughs> she doesn't know what to do. She My goodness. So, uh, so, but, so. But, but, I, but I do understand the responsibility of the role I take seriously that example that Justice has given all of us on the bench. I mean, her dedication to the profession, her working through her personal situations and circumstances and not letting that stop her from giving her best at all times. I mean, even when they went to oral arguments by phone, hospital it's like enough where I can't listen on the phone and you know that's so admirable yeah 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 I mean she 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 has a, had a her persistence and her perseverance was just uh was just extraordinary and um uh, and I know I mean a, a lot of people are, are just very very disheartened by this and part of it is because of the the political milieu uh, that we find ourselves in, and uh, 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 and all of that. But uh, but again, you know, people are grieving, uh, people are anxious, and so um, you know, as I've shared with folk, that uh, let us move forward. You know, uh, not being guided by our fears, but let's move for- move forward uh, uh, by being guided by our hopes. And uh, that's a quote uh, that I use from Nelson Mandela. You know, uh, that helps me, you know, uh, as I, you know, look at what's happening around us during these consequential times. Mm-hmm. Yes. And I and I ha- was having a conversation with my my sister, you know, her Reverend Helena mm-hmm. Titus. And she was feeling about all the icons passing away mm-hmm. right now and what it has caused me to think, including Justice Ginsburg, is that each one of us can do something in our sphere of influence. Mm-hmm. If we make a quality decision that we're going to make a positive impact, 
make society better. Mm -hmm. And in our sphere of influence, whatever it is, we can do that. So we can't rely and rest on the laurels of the icons, John Lewis, Mm -hmm. Justice Ginsburg. Yeah, we have to be that person now Mm -hmm. for this time. They were that person, but now they've gone on to glory, but there is still much work to be done. Yes. So it's incumbent upon us to not just lament their passing, but do something in their honors. Get, Get involved in the good trouble. Yes. Yeah. Make sure you go, right? You know, sign up for the census. Make sure the people on your block have registered for the census. There's something that each one of us can do in our sphere of influence. And that's what made me, that's what I thought about as I'm, you know, mourning her passing. Because I absolutely felt that passing. Yeah. And I went back to my chambers to get that picture Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. late at night on Friday. Right. Right. Yeah, indeed. I mean, the, the way I look at it, when icons such as, you know, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, John Lewis, C.T. Vivian uh, yes. uh, and others, you know, when they when they stand, they lift us up. Right. Uh, exactly. However, what I've come to learn is when they fall, they become a bridge for us, you know, uh, to uh, to then, you know, go on from strength to strength. Yes. To, uh, to continue to de- deploy our faith. Uh, meeting them at that intersection now for inspiration, instruction, uh, as well as direction and determination. Uh, so, so you're absolutely right, you know, uh, about that. Uh, I don't want to finish our time together without talking about the book. Uh, I know that uh, we share a, uh, a passion around domestic violence prevention as well as intervention, but ultimately it's elimination. And uh, in celebration of your 20th anniversary. You know, as a judge, you release, you know, uh, this book called Friends. Uh, so uh, I'm going to ask you to tell us a little bit about the book and, uh, and then also where we can get this book, because, you know, uh, I think it's a tremendous resource for us uh, as we continue to facilitate, you know, uh, the safety as well as the well-being, you know, of people, you know, who are in intimate relationships. Yes. Well, I always think about there's something that we can do, something to give back. And so in facing my 20th year on the bench, I kept trying to think, well, I have all this wealth of knowledge and experience in handling domestic violence cases. And you know, how can I be helpful? And so not to advocate on the abuse side or the abuser side, but I'm like, well, let me go for the friends because people, often ask, what can I do? Why don't they leave? And it's it's a very complicated issue. So in this book, I suggest some strategies that family and friends can take to be supportive of a loved one who is being abused, being abused. And using the word friends as an acronym, I go through some steps that they, they can do just so that they can be supportive. The most of the time people want to be supportive, they just don't know how to be supportive. They're saying, why don't you just leave? That's not being supportive because it's an individual decision that everybody has to make for themselves, that you can share information with them, be supportive, be there, be a listening ear, 
always say, keep track your own self of the things they tell you, the injuries you observe, because when that person gets to the point where they're ready to leave the relationship, often they have to minimize what's going on for years so that they stay in the relationship. But when they are getting ready to leave, then you're the one that has the notebook. No, it's 25 times, not two times. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. So that that's what this book goes through. Now, how can we get this book, uh, Josh Titus? Oh, it's available on Amazon and on my website site, JudgeTitus.com. Here's the copy of it. There it is. There it is. October October is Domestic Violence Awareness Month. Yes. So, yeah. Um, you'll be probably hearing a lot more about domestic violence awareness and strategies and you know, a lot of organizations and the domestic violence uh, support industry goes all out during the month of October to try to get the, the word out. But the main thing is in California and in, in all, all 50 states in the U.S., you're able to get a restraining order so you mm -hmm. can keep that person away from you with a civil uh, domestic violence restraining order. And then if they violate that, a criminal case could be filed against them. Yeah, yeah. Well, thanks so much. I, I, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll catch up again you know, next month to, uh, you know, domestic violence is a global, you know, uh, uh, epidemic. You know, in South Africa, it's called gender-based violence. You know, uh, and uh, here we call it domestic yes. violence or intimate partner violence. Uh, so a huge yes. challenge for us. And so uh, we're going to try and see if we can do you know, uh, the intersection and convergence piece around this uh, next month. So, so don't Great. change your phone number because I'll be, I'll be calling <laughs> you. To, to uh, and you are, of course, involved with um, one of the organizations that is, you know, uh, uh, near and dear to our hearts that we support. That is the Genesis Center that's doing yeah. an, uh, an extraordinary work here in South Los Angeles, you know, around. They, they are. They run a clinic at the Inglewood Courthouse to assist people in filling out the application mm -hmm. for a restraining order. It's like 50 pages. It's very intimidating, but they have a legal clinic there specifically to assist people in filling out the application. Yeah, so they do a lot of uh, accompaniment as part of their commitment, you know, uh, to, yeah. you know, uh, domestic violence prevention, intervention, and of course, is eventual elimination. Judge uh, uh, Perry Titus, thank you, thank you so much. So glad that uh, uh, we could hook this up. Uh, appreciate yeah. you, and thank you not just for what you're doing on the bench, but also what you're doing in the community. You know, and really, really uh, appreciate that. So the Lord yeah. bless and keep you, and I'll see you on the journey. Thank you. <laughs> All right. God bless you. We want to uh, just uh, close out, you know, with uh, some words from uh, Justice uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg. So uh, here are some, you know, uh, memorable, you know, um, uh, speeches from her that CNN compiled. We want to just play that and then uh, uh, come back and close out the show. Here is, in her own words, the notorious B. Uh, RBG. message in there so we'll let IBM do what they uh, need to do but let me just you know uh, uh, say again 
you know, uh, what's going to happen next now around the uh, response, the political response to the transition of, you know, um, uh, just, uh, Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg is going to be critical and quite telling around the integrity, you know, uh, as well as, you know, uh, the uh, vitality of our democracy. And so uh, that's what it's, it is at stake as to how we respond, you know, to a transition right now. Here she is in her own words. Okay, so we'll, we'll, we'll see if we can get it going uh, around that. But we once again want to uh, uh, thank Judge Petty Titus for joining us. Uh, hopefully we'll get those words up, but if not, we're going to uh, transition to once again reminding folk about the census. Uh, it is essential, essential, essential for you to uh, be in this count. Uh, it is a reminder that you belong uh, here. It is a reminder that... You're a true professional. Uh, you need to be visible, you know, uh, uh, around what's happening, you know, uh, in the United States. You have, you know, uh, influence and impact. Uh, and, and, and so the two critical, you know, um, actions that I encourage people to take between now uh, and the end of October is, one, complete your census by the end of September. And then secondly, make sure you register to vote you know, and you vote by the end of October. Uh, this is a voting season and not just a voting day. And you'll hear more about, you know, uh, the season that we're upon. There is a coalition of almost 50 organizations here in, you know, uh, Southern California coming together. Uh, and we have declared the month of October as uh, um, a voter registration and mobilization month. Uh, and we'll be uh, facilitating uh, uh, ways, means, spaces, and places, you know, uh, for folk uh, to uh, go and vote in person if you choose to, uh, uh, as well as mail it in. If you mail it in, mail it in now. Um, voter suppression is real, and uh, we want to also remind you on uh, Amazon Prime, Stacey Abrams now has a documentary out, you know, uh, that is about uh, uh, voter suppression, you know, uh, and all the strategies and schemes uh, that are out there. The documentary is called All In. If you have some time, check it out. Uh, but let's see. Uh, we're going to go to, you want to go to the census one? Yeah. Let's go to the census one, and uh, we're going to um, uh, then uh, move on, you know, uh, with that one. So, once again, census, y'all. In America, we all count. No matter where we call home, how we worship, or who we love. And the 2020 census is how that great promise is kept. Because this is the count that informs where hundreds of billions in funding will go each year for things like education, healthcare, and programs that touch us all. Complete the census online, by phone, or by mail. Shape your future. Start here at 2020census.gov. Thanks so much for joining us, beloved. This has been Faith Without Borders. I'm your host, Pastor Calvin Sauls, and uh, we'll see you next week when we're going to be kicking off talking about all of the propositions uh, that's uh, on the November ballot. We'll have guests in to talk about uh, those propositions. 
uh, and uh, we probably will open up, the, open up the phone lines as well uh, for folk to ask questions. So uh, we're kicking that off. You're probably seeing all the ads on TV about the propositions. We're going to try our best to break it down for you so you can be an informed voter as we uh, march towards uh, November the 3rd. Thanks so much. The Lord bless and keep you. Remember, remember, remember the three W's. One, wash your hands. Two, watch your distance. And three, wear your mask. If we do this, we can flatten the curve and extend you know, uh, uh, the life for so many of our sisters and brothers. Take care. Blessings. Strong.